tonight's edition of the One Hood Power Hour. I am your co-host, Kahari Mosley, with my illustrious co-host, Miracle Jones. And we have another uh, great show tonight. Uh, we will be joined by Kenya Johns, uh, the mayor-elect of Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Um, so a little bit later in the hour, uh, we will be joined by her to talk about her historic campaign and what her plans are um, taking up the historical role as the first African-American mayor of Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Uh, but before we get to that, we have a lot more to talk about. Uh, we're going to do some first takes, and then we also have a special second segment um, tonight. So, uh, Miracle, you, uh, before we jump into our first takes, you kind of talk about uh, the agenda for tonight. Uh, yes, today, like I said, we have, we're continuing on with our mayor's roundtable, talking with mayors who are elected this past election cycle about, you know, what their vision is for this region. You know, they call us the Rust Belt, you know, Appalachia, whatever you would like to call it. We want to talk to our elected officials to, talk, to see what they are bringing to this region, how they are going to be moving us forward, and how are they bringing communities together during these contentious times. Um, as we know, COVID is still here impacting our communities. And so we're talking to elected officials about what they are working for towards their vision for the future. Um, we are also going to be talking tonight about what's going on at the Pennsylvania legislature. For many people, you woke up this morning, you got a lot of uh, messages, texts, emails, or a lot of bills going forth. The Le Pennsylvania legislator, legislature, came back with a with a force, with a vengeance. Um, this cycle, and they are moving bills like bills have not been moved before. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Um, we're going to talk to the mayor, um, uh, the mayor elect, uh, Kenya Coleman Johns, and then we're going to talk about some cool events that we have coming up for you. Um, this week. So with that, I'm going to talk up, hand it back over to Gahari. Just talk a little bit more about this past election cycle, what the numbers were, and how it actually showed that people are more engaged in civic engagement now more than ever. Uh, yeah, yeah. From a, a thirty thousand uh, foot view, uh, we've seen particularly in Allegheny County there was a, a huge um, increase in turnout uh, compared to four years ago. Uh, and at the same municipal cycle uh, in November of 2017 in Allegheny County, 220,000 people participated in the fall general election in 2019. That number jumped up to 276,000. And in, in 2021, several weeks ago, we saw the uptick to 301,000 voters in uh in this November election. So you can see it was an 80,000 increase from four years ago and about a 25,000 voter increase from two years ago. Um, and, um, and, and in the city election, you know, Ed Ganey got the most votes in a general election of, of any mayor in the past 15 years um, since prior to the Ravenstall administration. Uh, Ravenstall had the previous high of about 43,000 in, in the fall election. Um, Ed Ganey uh, got up to 48,000 so he got nearly 5,000 votes more than uh, Luke Ravenstall did in 2007 when Mayor Ravenstall was running against Mark DeSantis. Uh, so very, very uh, incredible turnout. I think almost 30,000 more people uh, than voted in some of the previous mayoral uh, primary elections over the past couple cycles. So uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous turnout, um, you know, and, the, and one other you know, big story right now is that there's a currently uh, a state uh, triggered recount um, in the Commonwealth Court race for that second seat on Commonwealth Court. 
Um, right now, uh, Lori Dumas is about 12 to 13,000 votes ahead of Drew Crompton. That's Drew Crompton uh, right now. And it and the, the race is so close, it triggered a statewide recount. So we still have uh, amount, uh, a certain amount of time before uh, that race will be called. But as it currently stands, uh, with mail-in ballots, um, Lori Dumas, who was behind Drew Crompton on election night, um, has now taken the lead by 12, 13,000 votes. So that is something we're going to continue to monitor, monitor in the coming days uh, to see uh, who's going to pull that seat out. If Lori Dumas maintains her lead, um, as many expect, uh, that seat will flip from Republican to Democrat, and that will be the other one seat um, statewide that will flip from one party to the other. So, yeah, so those are some of the key stories coming out of this past election day, Miracle. Yeah, and we knew Pennsylvania uh, was going to be a place where people were going to be focused on. We knew that um, with the situation with COVID and Mellon voting, that there was uh, some places had drop boxes. Allegheny County did not. So we knew that there were going to be a delay in voting because more people were going to uh, be dropping off at the uh, election office instead of going to drop boxes. So there was going to be a little bit of, of changeover. But we are very excited to see like participation really was up. A lot of people are very invested in the judicial elections, are invested in the municipal elections. And we're starting to see the grassroots organizations are understanding that civic engagement really does have to be uh, a, a year round, unfortunately. Um, a lot of people are used to just doing things for years. So we're like, no, elections happen every six months. And in some places, a little a little more uh, often than that. And so we're very excited and very happy and very fortunate to see people are, are really paying attention to what's going on with our courts and what's going on um, with our municipal elections. Because that's what we say, you know, um, there's an organization, all politics is local, all voting is local, and the local is what really, really matters. And so we want to also take this time to talk about what's going on uh, locally, like I mentioned, the Pennsylvania legislature woke up today and said, you know what, we're going to run bills and we're going to run <laughs> as many bills um, as we can going through things in committee. And so you may have received some alerts and we're going to see if John can put the screen up on the board. We are um, asking people to um, really engage and to show up and contact their local officials um, because, you know, here at Wanted Power, criminal justice is one of our nine focus areas, and we are really focused on decarceration. And there are two bills, um, HB 1587 and HB 1590. We'll put the links to those in the chat. And these bills would do a couple of things. Um, one, they would uh, reverse a Supreme Court order that said mandatory uh, minimum sentencing um, is unconstitutional because it removes the ability for a judge to do a case-by-case -case analysis on um, a, a specific criteria to see what was happening um, with the individual when they committed a, a alleged crime. And what one of the things that these bills would do was actually make it so if you were accused, not convicted of uh, certain gun offenses, you would not be eligible for um, bail or bond. And of course, we know in Pennsylvania, we have had issues with people being falsely accused, uh, falsely arrested. And so it would basically presume 
people are a threat to society before conviction and they would not be allowed to post um, any type of bail, any type of bond, any type of house arrest or home confinement, they would automatically uh, be kept within um, uh, uh, detention, uh, prison, well, not a prison, a jail facility. Um, it would also create a mandatory minimum sentencing so that when people were convicted of certain gun offenses, they would all automatically uh, be sentenced to a mandatory with no um, possibility of parole, no possibility of getting out on good behavior. No, there would be no type of metric, no type of um, encouragement to take certain classes, to get sentencing reduced. They would automatically just be sentenced, even if they were a first-time offender um, as well. So we're asking people to like look up these bills. Um, we have them linked up on our website uh, on here on Wanted Power. Um, org to learn more information. And um, one of our sister uh, partners, you know, FAM, formerly Families Against Mandatory Minimums, really has a really good um, link that you're able to say, go on to. We've had the link in the chat. You can just put in your information um, and it will take you uh, uh, to like an email that you can just send. You can, you can adjust it. Um, as well uh, to make it more personable and you could send that to your, your voting officials so that uh, they would understand how important that these bills are. There's also a couple of bills that would change the way bail funds are working in the area. Um, and so we're also asking people just to pay attention. We know there's a lot going on. COVID numbers are rising, people are getting ready for the holidays, but we really want to make sure that people are understanding what is happening because we do just know because of uh, previous, how the previous Pennsylvania legislature bills have worked, that we know it's going to be black and brown folks who are going to be disproportionately impacted. It's going to be black and brown folks who are going to be um, forced along these jails hours and hours um, outside of their homes and away from their families and their communities and not having any type of ways or ability um, to rehabilitate themselves or to change their circumstances is very, um, very disheartening. So we're asking the legislature to invest in the community, to invest in anti-violence prevention, to invest in, in housing and safety and mental health support, and to do the things that we know um, help reduce uh, violence. Um, instead of increasing policing and incarceration. So again, um, we, we invite you to go look at the website to get more information, to make an informed decision, and then to contact your legislate your um, your legislature, your legislative officials, both your, your state senators and your state representatives to tell them to vote no on uh, 1587 and 1590. Um, and in addition, we, there is also a, a, a bill, that we just learned would um, impact the way bail funds operate. And that is um, 2046. That would force people who pay bail um, to become bail's bo bail bondsmen. But of course, mutual aid funds are not um, to, are unable to meet that criteria because the collective is not an LLC, it's not a business. Um, and so that would then prevent people from bonding out individuals. And we know, again, in Pennsylvania, there have been people who've been who've been innocent, people who have been arrested um, disproportionately. And we know that when you can't pay your, your bail and you languish in jail, you 
face eviction, you face foreclosure, you face termination from employment, you you face uh, loss of custody rights and so many things in addition to having um, medical care denied, mental health treatment denied. And so we're really trying to impart the the importance of uh, looking toward community to solve issues and, and to uh, fight crime and, uh, and to build up and to invest in people. And so we ask that you go and look at these bills and contact your legislative officials um, to let them know that these are not things that are going to make us safe, um, they're going to do more harm, and to look toward community um, alternatives. And so that's some of the things that we've been advocating and fighting for. Um, today, uh, uh, suddenly, there are some other bills that are going to be coming uh, uh, down and be introduced in the next couple of days. So just keep uh, paying attention and, and following us so we can uh, share this information. And I'll turn it back over to you, Kahari. Thank you for that miracle. Um, in other news, uh, Trump ally Steve Bannon surrendered uh, to the FBI uh, on contempt of Congress charges in the ongoing investigation of the January 6th uh, insurrection. Um, so that's something that folks will be staying tuned to at least for the next several weeks, if not longer, um, as the House committee investigating um, the events of January 6th um, continue to subpoena uh, former uh, Trump allies as well as former members of uh, the Trump administration. Um, if um, Steve Bannon um, is convicted of, of contempt of Congress, he could serve one to two years. Um, in federal prison uh, for that. So um, very, very interesting times. Um, He has refused um, to answer to the subpoena and has refused to come before the committee to answer questions about his potential involvement in in January 6th, in in the January 6th insurrection, um, and also in in what's been watched all over the country in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, there in the, the, uh, the closing argument phase of the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which is, uh, you know, has been watched all over the country, if not all over the world. Um, and, and folks have very, very strong feelings about um, how, um, you know, this case um, has, how the trial um, has unfolded. Um, and um, we will be, you know, watching it extremely closely over the next several days um, as uh, the, the trial uh, continues um, to wind down, uh, Miracle, do you have uh, any thoughts on, um, you know, the Steve Bannon news as well as, uh, you know, the final stages of uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial? Uh, yes, like I said, at the top of the hour, people are really under, are coming to understand how important the judiciary really is in every aspect of our lives. Because in, in addition to these two trials, we also have the trial for the murderers of Omar Arbery going on. And so people are really getting a, a really deep dive uh, course into what is happening um, in court, what the rules of procedure are. I know when I was in law school, the, the rules of procedure were like the one subject that I really looked forward <laughs> to, to learning, to applying. And so it's going to be very curious to, I'm very curious to see how the Steve Bannon trial is going to go, especially because he is um, pretty much saying he's going to be held in contempt, that he's not going to uh, agree. I mean, literally all he has to do is go sit down, be interviewed and plead the Fifth Fifth Amendment, which is the amendment that protects you from basically uh, snitching on yourself, uh, putting yourself um, into harm's way where you would have to give evidence that would 
lead to a conviction. Um, again, this case, what's going on for the January 6th inquiry for people who may have forgotten is the House is looking into what basically happened on January 6th, what led up to January 6th. Was this treason? Was this an attempted coup? Was this people really just organically coming together? Or was this like a concerted effort between uh, or grassroots organizations, far-right organizations, um, elected officials, government officials, um, with the hopes that people would be harmed, right? We're finding out different information, where different leaders had hope one thing would happen or that people were targeting certain elected officials, that there was even some active duty police officers who were involved um, in the uprising. And so this is just an investigation to see what's going on. Um, just recently, a lot of uh, some of the Trump uh, communications were paused be be to be released before the committee, the judge said, hold on, those are not going to be released quite yet. So that's happening with the January 6th trial. With the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, a lot of people have been taken aback by how performative the judge has been and how really lighthearted in some instances the trial has been despite the precarious situation um, that happened in Kenosha. Three people were shot and, and um, you know, lost their lives. And what did the police play into this? What, what did the narrative play into this? Um, what are the rulings of the court that are really going to see if we have a conviction or not? And of course, a lot of people were very shocked that one of the gun charges were dismissed today based on a finding that the judge said that the length requirement of one of the guns did not meet the criteria for having a dangerous weapon. A lot of people argued and said that was an incorrect interpretation. But we're going to see going forth when this goes to the jury, what, or even if the case goes to a jury, because the judge can declare a mistrial or the judge can say that there he has found the state has not presented enough information to warrant a conviction and he can basically um, similar um, dismiss the charges. And so it's going, like I said, these next couple of days, it's going to be very interesting um, to see what happens. And again, to juxtapose what's going on on the Kenosha, what's going on in Georgia, the judge has been very open and very transparent um, with his rulings, um, has said that he has found that there has been racial biases in some of the processes and procedures going on the trial, but he's allowing the trial to go forth. And he's understanding that there are some questions that are going to have to be answered later on about the way this trial has been run so far. So it's going to be a very, a very stressful uh, situation. On top of that, in a couple of weeks, the officers that um, murdered uh, uh, Atiana Jefferson are supposed to be going on trial in Texas. And so this is going to be like an ongoing cycle for like uh, for a lot of communities in the next couple of weeks because these court cases are not going away. Thank you for that miracle. Um, yeah, and, and and as you said, you know there has been a lot of focus on, on Judge Schroeder as well as the uh, the uh, you know the motion today um, that uh, the decision that was the ruling rather um, that uh, one of the gun charges was thrown out, uh, which you mentioned that raised a lot of of, of eyebrows, um, and then obviously in uh, the trial uh, 
uh, around the murder of Ahmad Aubrey, you know, there's been uh, a focus on the statements uh, made uh, by the defense uh, in reference to the black pastors. Uh, there was a motion for a mistrial today on the grounds of uh, attendance of uh, various uh, prominent African-American pastors from Al Sharpton. Um, today, uh, Jesse Jackson attended and um, the, the, the defense um, tried to make a motion to have a mistrial basically due to Jesse Jackson's um, appearance um, in court and um, made a statement that was covered you know, all over the country that seemed to even shock uh, people that were standing right next to him in the courtroom saying that like, he didn't want to see any more black pastors um, attending uh, the trial and felt that it was poisoning uh, the jury pool, so to speak, uh, and influencing them um, in an unfair way, um, which, you know, raised a ton of eyebrows, even the eyebrows of the folks that were uh, sitting right among him um, in that courtroom. Um, so, yes, we uh, are in a very, very interesting time, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, high, high profile legal cases um, that intersect with, you know, race and justice, law enforcement, the vigilantism, um, you know, all that, you know, all which has a very, very long, you know, history um, in this, this country. I'm actually, America, I'm currently uh, not reading, but listening to on Audible, uh, the people's history of the Civil War. I'm a big, big uh, Civil War aficionado so to speak and um, i definitely suggest folks read that um because wow like you sometimes look at some of these current situations and think that oh the world is crazy right now and i can't believe this happened but uh if you you know read or listen to a people's history of the civil war uh, almost on a daily basis particularly in that you know four-year period that the civil war happened uh, the level of vigilantism, the level of people taking action, um, much like a, a Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, much like um, uh, the, the the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, um, we this is nothing new. You know, these kind of actions uh, is nothing new. It is kind of embedded into the DNA of, of our country. Um, you know, people are taking action in this way from the New York City draft riots um, to riots throughout the South uh, uh, that were uh, pro-union, anti-union. It was just uh, a very, 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 very volatile time um, in this country. And I think those are the periods of time that we could look back to um, for, for guidance and for understanding about how can we avoid, you know, these kinds of things. But I think we tend to kind of a wash away that history and hide that history so when these things come up you know we keep thinking that oh this is the first time this happened where's our country going like what is happening to this country that we think we know so well but really um you know these acts are very much in the dna and the history of our country at times of great division at times of very deep social volatility at times of economic stress Yeah, so as I said, there's nothing new under the sun. And I think that it's why it's very important that people learn the history. People talk to their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents if they're still around because a lot of these struggles are not anything new. 
Um, but it's just the fact that people are still surprised that a lot of these battles still have to be fought, still have to go, we still have to go on. But like I said, you know, with you know, reconstruction, a lot of that fight was over elections. A lot of things have happened. It's still a very contentious time. And like you mentioned, and so it's always very interesting when politicians are running for office, when they are trying to have a message of unity and trying to bring people together when there are very jarring national headlines going on. And so our next guest is going to be one of these uh, politicians, you know, a community organizer, a Slippery Rock grad graduate who took on the mantle to run for mayor. Um, and it just this past, you know, week for the past well, two weeks ago for the election was um, elected to be the first uh, Black person, the first Black woman of her community in Beaver Falls. And so we want to welcome to the program mayor-elect Kenya Coleman-Johns, who's going to talk about you know, her her campaign, her vision for Beaver Falls, how she hopes to bring her community together, um, the things that she's putting out to help her community succeed. And so with that, welcome um, Mayor-elect Coleman Johns. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I just want to just uh, commend One Hood. Uh, I've been to a couple of your events over the years, obviously before COVID, and I just appreciate the work you guys do in the community, and I appreciate you taking the time to have me on here. Yeah, we're very excited that you are here. So first off, congratulations. You had a, a very um, long campaign. You were out there um, hitting the streets. What caused you to run for office? Um, so uh, it was a very long campaign. But there was also there was a number of reasons why I ran. You know, I'm a lifelong resident at Beaver Falls. I grew up here. I lived here my whole life. My family's from here. Um, I'm a mother, and I, I want my kids to want to live here too. And you know, the looks of where our town has, is currently is not a place that anyone would necessarily uh, previously would have wanted to live. But I think that we're on the right stride and right path to really change that narrative. And we're at a, in a great location. So one, create a better community is super important to me. So that's one of the reasons I ran. Another one of the reasons I ran is, like I said, there's that there was there's this feeling of a division in the country, right? And we feel it in our city as well. Um, and there's our city is so unique and so so vastly different than all the places I've ever been that the divide that was happening in the world I don't feel like needs to be a divide that's happening in Beaver Falls. So, you know, I feel like it's important as leadership and those in power, it's our responsibility to help bridge that divide, bridge that gap. It's our responsibility that if our if our residents aren't feeling heard or seen, that we make them feel seen and we make them feel heard. You know, that's why we're called servant leaders. You know, we're, we're elected to serve. Um, and, and I just felt like there could have been things done differently and better to better serve our city. And, and I'm very excited that the city agreed with me and they're ready to do the work for us to make that happen. And 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 you took on in in the, in the primary, uh, you, you know, you took on in the comic. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what that you know that process was like, and, and having to block out, you know, the potential noise. You know, it's one thing, you know, you run for an open seat, and you know, everyone, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of a free for all. There's no incumbent. You know, you're not quote unquote running against anybody. You're running for something. Uh, but when you take on an incumbent, you know, even though you know 
we all said, well, we're running for something. You know, you are, you know, in essence, running against someone, taking on the establishment, taking on the current power structure. So tell us a little bit about what that process was like and how you, you know, stuck, you know, um, you know, stuck to your gun, so to speak, um, you know, and stayed in it and, and, and prevailed, you know, in a race that I would imagine when you um, first, you know, decided to do it, you were not considered the front runner. Right. Very true. Um, so that's an excellent question. Uh, it's, a, it's a very layered question, I'll say that. So running in itself is very challenging. Um, it is very challenging to put yourself out there and run for a position, especially when it comes to uh, a city mayor or things like that. Because um, it's, it's a little different. You're, you're in the front seat. Um, in my county, there's only two technical cities, and we're one of them. Um, we're very, we're very well known because we're the last stop before you get to Ohio and we're only 40 minutes, 45 minutes from the city of Pittsburgh. So we're easily accessible to a lot of people. So a lot of people know we're the home of Joe Namath and um, we have great sports teams here. So people know about us. So it was really challenging to go against that. And I think running against an incumbent, it really was the fact that, you know, I, I wanted to run a campaign where I wasn't necessarily running against, although I was. Um, him, but I was running for something better. I was running for something different. I was running for things that we haven't currently had. Um, community unity, um, the ability, like I said, to feel seen and heard, collective bargaining, um, all the engagement, like the city spoke, right? I allowed the city to tell me what they needed, what they saw, what they felt. And it just so happened that what they needed, what they saw, what they felt were the same things that I wanted to run for. And that's why it was so important for me to do that. And the biggest thing for my campaign is um, running against someone. I think it's easy for people to like take it personal, right? Like, oh, you're personally going against me. But that that was never the intense, you know, although you might be in that seat, it's not that I'm running against you. I'm just running for the city. And we just have different views of what the city needs in the, the future of the city. Um, and also one of the biggest things for this race was I ran with two amazing uh, women that really made going through this process and all of these challenges and all of these uh, hurdles so much better, right? We were able to work collectively. And I really believe in the power of unity and collaboration. And this election was the, the baseline for that. And it was the baseline for, I think, my success and the success of the city. Because, you know, one, you know, you got elected, but they're also, you know, you were council members. So can you just talk a little bit about why y'all had decided to like kind of form this pact, like to run together and to support each other? Um, and what were some of like the benefits to doing that? And and how have how are you now um, going to navigate, uh, not necessarily being at odds with each other, but having like different roles in the future? Right. And you know, what's so uh, awesome about that question is we actually didn't even agree to run together. Um, our paths and journeys of running were completely separate. Like uh, initially when I decided to run and they decided to run, we weren't even aware that each other were running. Um, it just so happened. <laughs> it just so happened that uh, through conversations with people in our city and things like that, we were able to like, oh, so you're running. Let's sit down. Let's have a conversation, right? Let's engage. Like, let's see where you're at. Let's see where your thoughts are and what your goals are and what your plans are. And it just so happened that the beauty of us all running is we wanted similar things for the city. We have we're all community advocates and community organized, and we really want to piece together that, that unity, building up youth programming, um, creating better collaboration and connection with um, our police departments, and uh, just overall engagement, building back uh, 
building up businesses um, and really re rediscovering who we are. And so that was the beauty of us. It, it was organic, right? It wasn't like, this is forced, like we're going to throw all these people together and we're going to make it shake. It was, it was organic. And, and it shows in the work that we, that we decided to stay together. Um, and I think honestly, some of the, uh, the beauty of it was going through those hard times and uh, really, you know, on days where you've had a rough day, being able to be like, Hey, I know it was rough, but like, we got to push forward. It's not about us. It's about what we want for the city. And it's, it's easy for someone that's not sitting in the seat with you to try to give you that word of encouragement. But when someone that's sitting with you, looks different. Um, and Miracle, you asked a great question, like uh, what it looks like with us uh, being in different roles. And I'm, I'm excited to see what that looks like. I hope it requires us to challenge each other um, and challenge us to do what's best for the city at all times. And I hope, I hope that means that we're going to always, even if we don't agree, we'll always respect each other. Absolutely, and 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 in the waning days, you know, of, you know, of the campaign, there was you know some controversy that you know made it all the way, you know, to the Pittsburgh media market with um, State Representative Bernstein, you know, making some very loaded uh, um, accusations, as well as sending out you know some very controversial, you know, uh, political communication that centered around you and uh, some of the folks that got elected with you um, a couple weeks ago. You talked, you know, a little bit about that and it. Clearly, it didn't seem to gain, you know, much traction. But you just talk a little bit about what happened and how the community responded, because it seems like, at least from you know where I'm sitting, that you know that you know the accusations didn't have legs, and and the people really didn't respond to it the way Representative Bernstein may have hoped when he you know hatched the scheme. Right. Um, so the the whole incident overall i i think my work speaks for itself you know i i'm not in the community for fake and i'm not in this to be a politician and to win favors like my work speaks for itself and um although the, the they're not in accusations they're lies um because those aren't things that i've said nor done or um but uh the people know me they see me they see me in their spaces they see me at events they see me engaging they see me doing the work like I'm visible, like I'm not pretend. So when people see that and they hear that and then like when they know you as a person and they're like, this is completely A, out of context um, from what the post and all that was completely out of context and just false and just just not appropriate. It definitely worked in our advantage. Um, I was so thankful to that enough people knew me and the work that I've done and who my heart is and the things that I want for the city that I didn't even have to say anything about it. They were there. They were riled up. They they took the bat for it because they know, you know, this is our city and this isn't the representation we want. And honestly, we want to move forward in a positive space and live in somewhere with where it's separating us or bringing any divide. Just it's not welcome here anymore. That's not what Beaver Falls is going to do. Thank you for that. And how, you know, you've gone to this controversy. You've had people rally you know, around you, how are you going to use that to like bring people together? Because it is a very contentious time, you know, nationally, globally, locally, you know, people are, you know, are, are, are scared. People are angry. People are frustrated. And there is a conversation about, you know, a fear of people tapping into anger. So as this politician who ran this campaign of positivity and unity, how are you looking for to like galvanizing your support to kind of bring people to, to this table who may actually fear you or actually may believe what was in these, you know, mailers? 
And and honestly, uh, that's a great question. And I've actually already began that work. I know I'm not in office. I know I'm mayor elect, but I think it's important to even now just to begin to break down that that false narrative and start allowing people to engage. You know, like reaching out to like I, I'm, I'm Democrat, so reaching out to Republicans and things like that in my city, just to let them know that you know our city needs all representations. We need Democrat, Republican, uh, Independents, non-registered. We need everybody at the table if we really do want this sustainable change to happen in our city. So having those conversations, continuing to be present, um, continue to create opportunities. For example, um, having commissions with all of our pastors, uh, having a place where all of them can come together and engage and develop camaraderie in, in the sense, you know, with building some of those divides that might be present in the city um, from that aspect. But in addition to do that, having events, right? Having events where we can begin to have conversations with me, begin to know me and know like, hey, when I actually have a conversation with her, all of these false narratives and things that were presented, they're just not true and they're not factual. Um, having people, my residents continue to, you know, tell the truth about me. Holding office hours so when residents have a car, need something, they can actually access me. They can see me or call me or Zoom me or whatever they need to be accessible to feel like I'm here for them because I'm here to serve them. And I just and I think as they see that I'm here to to serve them and not the other way around, I feel like uh, it'll be an easy conversation and easy shift for the residents. Interesting. And and you know, just looking you know at the results, you know, obviously the. Um, and with folks, you know, who are watching from outside of Beaver Falls may not be aware of that uh, the, the candidate you defeated in the spring, the, uh, the incumbent did appear to have a writing campaign or have right in support against you. And, and it's interesting because in this very similar approach that they did in Buffalo, New York, uh, when uh, uh, African-American woman won the primary and unfortunately she was not able to overcome you know, the, the, uh, the, the write-in pushback, you know, so what, what did you do, you know, at Beaver Falls, you know, as, uh, you know, the incumbent, you know, try to get support from other parties and, you know, and other folks that they may not have reached out to in a, in a Democratic primary to kind of use the same model that they did in Buffalo uh, when, a, when a young African-American woman won the primary unexpectedly, you know, so what were some of the things that you had to do in the fall campaign to keep, uh, you know, the, the incumbent from, from winning, you know, a write-in campaign, like it, which happened, actually happened in some cities around the country. Right. And that's a, that's a, a, a great question. And it's a fair concern for sure. Um, I think one of the things that uh, I did really, I think having running mates helped me out tremendously. I think that that was great. Uh, another thing that I did is didn't let up, right? didn't think that just because I had won the primaries that like it was over, right? Continue to remind the citizens every step of the way through conversations, through actions, like it's not over. Like I still need you to show up at the polls even more than you did before. Uh, continue to make sure people are registered to vote, continue to go out there going door to door, just continue the grind as if I had lost the primaries and I was running a writing campaign. Um, and that was so important and to continue to show up. And, and, when, and then when negative things were appearing, to not make them be the focus of what I wanted to do. Instead of responding to those, just moving forward and pushing forward as if um, they're there, I'm not gonna give them my energy. We're gonna continue what our message is and our goal is. And when you see, when you see you push through all of that, you see that like, I'm serious about this and I really do mean what I say and not just doing lip service. Yeah, and I know that like, 
election night happened to get the win and everybody's like, you're the first black mayor, you know, all of that. What does that pressure now look like for you? Right. Um, Cause you're, you know, you're coming, it's kind of, I guess the, the excitement is a little, maybe has died down a little bit and the reality of being sworn in is like, you know, becoming fast approaching. So what is, what is the pressure that you're feeling um, and what is you're looking forward to accomplishing in your first hundred days? So to be honest, um, I never really celebrated. Um, I haven't. I, you know, life happens and life moves quickly and I'm I'm action oriented person. So I haven't celebrated because I don't feel like the work that they've elected me to do is done. So I don't think that this calls for a celebration. Like it's great and I'm very honored to be in this position. I'm I feel incredibly blessed to be here. But the work's not done. I haven't done anything. So I, I don't get the opportunity to celebrate. When I do some things and the city's moving the way it needs to move, then I can celebrate because then I've done some things. So that's when I'll celebrate. Yeah, and, and just look at, you know, at the numbers, you won, you know, the primary with 54% of the vote. You won the general with 58% of the vote. You know, which says to me, some of the folks that supported, you know, Mayor Quay, you know, in the springtime, you know, came around, you know, and supported you. So what kind of outreach did you do to folks who may have voted against you or didn't vote for you in the Democratic primary to get their support in a general election? Because I'm sure those were some of the folks that Mayor Quay was hoping that he could hold on to while he got Republican support and you know, third party support to kind of put together a coalition to maybe overcome, you know, the support that, that, that you built. So like, what was it like reaching out to folks within the Democratic community and being folks that may have not supported you initially in the primary? Um, so that was, like I said, was hitting the ground and still having those conversations, still engaging with the citizens, just letting them know the things that we're going to do, because now it's not like what we want to do, it's what we're going to do. Um, and the things that like, and just being honest with people, people appreciate honesty, you just got to trust them to have it. Um, I've, I've been very transparent with the whole campaign, like I might be in the mayor's seat, but the work that needs to be done is going to take every citizen coming to the table to do the work to keep it done. So and just allowing people to know that they have a space here in the city. They have a role in the city. And not only is it a win for me, you know, me winning the seat is a win for them, right? It's a victory for the city. It's a victory for the citizens. And when people, when people get to talk to you and they actually hear what your plans are and you actually have a plan um, and, and you have experience to back up your plan, they can get behind that, you know? And I think that that's it, like showing up, being active, going to events, letting people see you, let them see your presence. It's super important, you know, and I think that's I think that's a piece that is lost too. like after the primaries. I could have easily just took it back seat and acted like, you know, we got this in the bag. We won. And I think that it would have not only been a disservice to the citizens, it would have been a disservice to myself, because if I'm not willing to hit the grind and do the work after the primaries, what am I going to do when I'm in that seat? I think that's very important when you're talking about like to kind of like the show and prove. And so just to back up, you talked about, you know, your plan, you want to get things done first before you celebrate. Um, day 101 of your, you know, administration, what do you hope you've, you have accomplished? Say day 101. Um, so by day 101, um, I hope to have learned, right? I hope to have gained some knowledge and listened um, to not just the citizens, but the way things have been done. Right. I'm not going to reinvent all the wheels, but there's some things that could definitely be changed. So I, I hope that I've learned. I've hoped that by that point, um, we have some coalition starting, at least some meetings beginning to have where people are actually sitting at tables so that we have a long term plan. 
I'm hoping by day 101, we at least have a baseline of where we want to go for the trajectory of our city and what we want to be defined as. Um, I hope by day 101, we have a lot of media attention to uh, the positives of our city and all the great things that we're doing. Um, and also by day 101, I want our kids to know who is representing them. I want our kids and citizens to see my face, know who I am, know who all the council members are, know who the city manager are, know who the chief of police is, know who the chief of our uh, fire department is. I want them to see them and know them by day 101. I think that can be accomplished in 101 days. And um, did you have any plans uh, to reach out to folks like uh, Mayor Laganey, uh, Mayor like Wanda Williams in Harrisburg, uh, and, and, and some of the other uh, new uh, incoming uh, mayors uh, throughout the state of Pennsylvania? And, and do you think it makes sense to maybe create some sort of association, some sort of coalition uh, where you guys can go to Harrisburg and lobby, uh, you know, and fight for issues from the larger cities down to the to the smaller cities that still fall under? you know, various codes. Like, I don't know, it's, it's, does Weaver fall, fall to the city of the, of the third class? Um, um, do you know? So that, that's okay. two questions. No, it's two questions. Um, so the first question, which the second question is the easiest question. Right. Weaver Falls is technically a third class, under third class city code. But during our election, we um, the citizens voted for home rule charter. So now it looks a little different. So we're learning that and navigating that. Um, but to answer your first question, Yes, I actually already did uh, reach out to uh, Mayor-elect uh, Ganey um, and some other constituents, and not necessarily just in Pennsylvania, like um, the city of Cleveland just uh, had a new black mayor um, emerge and just trying, and I know uh, Mayor Marita, uh, trying to build those networks and trying, I've, I've reached out to a few of them and just trying to build that up. I know everyone's busy right now, it's holiday season, so I'm sure that that's going to happen because I think that that's an imperative that we do that. Because, you know, there's power in numbers, there's power in us working together collaboratively, there's power in us sharing resources. Um, and I think that we're all so close together that there's enough for us to share. That's good. And I know you talk about the, the, a little bit about the home rule charter. We also know that the redistricting is happening uh, Commonwealth wide. Have you gotten any information about how that would impact Beaver Falls? Do you um, expect that your district would grow or are you expecting Beaver Falls to be reduced in size? Has anyone had any conversations with you about that? So I try to stay very up to date and active on that. Um, so I see, I watch a lot of our U.S. Census data. I know for our city overall, we gain residents, um, which is great because we're one of the few in Western Pennsylvania to actually gain citizens in our city. So Kudos to all the work to get that to happen for sure. Um, and I'm hoping to have that even more because our city's awesome and there's a lot that it offers. But uh, depending on our county, you know, it, we either could lose a seat or it will stay the same. I'm actually happy for redistricting because I think that um, the way it will be re redistricted, the population will be more representative of my citizens. And I think that's important, right? To have someone that we don't share the same concerns or the same values or opinions. So a representative can't really represent us if they don't know us nor really care about our concerns because it doesn't impact them. So I think that that is imperative for us. That's right. That's, that's very interesting. And, um, and, and could you talk about what you see are, are some of, um, you know, the ways that, you know, Beaver Falls, can continue its its rebound 
like you just talked about it was one of the few cities that that was a very you know interesting tidbit you just gave us that you know beaver falls is one of the few cities in western pa's game population and now we all know the history of beaver falls actually my father's from newcastle so i'm you know i'm very familiar you know with that you know neck of the woods and you know i with the college come back we need more residents. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay and um and 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 um and i went you know college with a bunch of folks from beaver falls you know aliquippa new brighton you know sharon farrell you know all through you know that greater you know area um you know um you know with the loss of industry as we all know you know obviously beaver falls was used to be a big like you said joe namath you know um and all that um you know what do you see are some of the ways uh economically and some of the types of industries or businesses that you would like to bring that you think would be good fits, you know, for Beaver Falls to continue its economic rebound? So that's a great question. Um, I think that Beaver Falls is a diversity hub of Beaver County, like with no question. If you look at our U.S. Census data, we have the most diverse population out of any city in, um, in our uh, county. So I think that that's an imperative notion right there. You know, we're open to collaboration and community engagement. You look at our history of events and things that we've done, collaboration and community is, is neck and neck. And we're open to more diverse businesses coming in. Um, so even if it's not here, I'm very open to bringing it there. We need more entertainment and engagement for um, our adult population. So those will be highly appreciated. Also, we need a entertainment and engagement for our youth as well, because you know we want to maximize um, their time, their ability to be educated. We have the Beehive coming in, which is going to be an educational, uh, like a network that's going to be amazing. We have the Portobello project that's coming, and I think that's going to be such an asset to our city. But you know, we're so open to more restaurants, um, ways to engage and just reshape our city. And I think that we're in such a great place that we're so open to the what it might look like that there's a space for all types of industry, especially like IT industry. Um, gaming industry, you you name of it, you know, if it makes sense for our city, we're definitely open for it. Yeah, um, and for people who've never been to Beaver Falls, can you just talk, uh, you know, you, you talked about the growing population. We know that there are, you know, a lot of people are moving, going back and forth. Um, just talk about some of the cool places that you like um, at Beaver Falls, and people should like definitely go in um, and stop the rent support. So there's a, a number of great businesses here. For instance, um, Buttermilk Falls is at the uh, the cusp of uh, the Turnpike in the city, but it's all it's all woods, it's all nature, it's beautiful. Like you're not gonna find any other place like that, especially <clears throat> in a city um, such as Beaver Falls. Um, we have great businesses and shops downtown. You have Vengeance Reborn. You have uh, uh, cash out, which is a clothing brand. You have Charades, which is a restaurant. You have Mississippi Chicken Shack, which is a restaurant. Um, you have uh, a quality time um, times. Uh, there's a lot. Of, sorry, I'm getting a little nervous. <laughs> I want to make sure I'm talking about everybody, but then right. it's like, oh, you don't forget anybody. <laughs> um, well, there's a there's a ton of businesses in our area. Um, we have like Minuteman Press, uh, which does a lot of. Um, Photoshop and like printing services. We have social services like Charles Ministries that um, do a lot of those. We have um, Enlo's, which is another like shoes and clothing store. We have um, pawn shops, we have gaming shops, we have restaurants like Athens and uh, we have sports bars like Evergreen and um, 
Breeze uh, Tavern. I could go on and on. Um, like we really are super diverse and we really have a little bit of everything. Um, there's not much that you can't find here. Um, like Wolf's Clothing. Um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. We have uh, Tiger Paws where they have furniture banks and furniture stores, but they also have cafes. Um, I'm just going up and down the street. We have lots of stores. Like we have a lot here. Um, you just got to be willing to come down here and go a little bit, uh, a little bit north of Pittsburgh, but you'll find us and you'll fall in love with the community. And that's what happens. People come here. They see the people. They see the community. They see that this is an experience that Beer Falls offers that you're not going to get anywhere else. And that's why they stay. Now, now thank you for that. And I was just, you know, um, taking a, a quick gander at, uh, at, at State House District 10, as you, as you mentioned, and, and it is a very uh, a curious uh, design, you know, to the district, how it kind of meanders um, through that part uh, of the state and then kind of catches, you know, Beaver Falls right at the very end, while there's obviously like Ambridge, Aliquippa, mm -hmm. you know, are extremely close. Um, and, I, and I know, um, uh, you know, Representative uh, Mati, uh, you know, uh, in, in Aliquippa, you know, you know, has that district, but it, it would be interesting to see you know, how that district will be redrawn, you know, in a way that may potentially more so reflect, you know, because it has that part where it goes all the way up to Slippery Rock right. and then goes to the Ohio line, you know, which, you know, which, which makes it interesting. So, you know, from your perspective, you know, draw, if you could draw the map, you know, you know, how, how would you like to see, you know, that, that district 10, you know, drawn in, in a way that's more reflective, you know, of, of Beaver County and the communities that you represent? So it would be, um, if I had a magic pencil and a magic pen, um, I would make sure that we have uh, Copple and Big Beaver, uh, a part of our, our, our line and district because their kids go to our schools. They're our kids, not even theirs. Our kids go to the same schools. We play the same taxes and we're the same community. So I think it's important that we incorporate them because they're a part of the city. Um, although I might not be the mayor of them, they're a part of the city and I find them as very valuable residents. Um, uh, all the way down to Aliquippa and Let's just keep Beaver County in a one. You know, we we share a lot of the uh, a lot of the other things. I think that we can use we can use that. I'm not even opposed to being part of uh, parts of Pittsburgh because I think there's a lot of resources that come to Pittsburgh that could definitely be utilized in Beaver Falls. And I think I'm hoping to work closely um, with Mayor Legany to get some more utilization of that. And we know with the funding coming in, with the the infrastructure bill passing. Beaver Falls needs to be a part of that conversation. We're right on the cusp of Ohio. We're at the turnpike. We are the turnpike. Uh, we can, I can get to Pittsburgh, because I, I, I went to Duquesne for a number of years. Um, I can get to Pittsburgh in 35 minutes. We are close, you know, and we need to be part of the conversation. And I think that it's important that we begin to build that bridge and it not being us versus them in Western Pennsylvania. And it's just all of us. Right, thank you. You know, which makes sense. And um, well, our next to last question, um, as you take on, you know, becoming mayor, what are some of the things that you're looking to do? Because I know, like, you've talked a lot, a lot about, like, youth advocacy and the future for youth and, like, your campaign. Um, what are some of the things you're hoping that specific population um, to do um, as mayor? So that's a great question. Um, there's a number of things for sure that I want to do. Um, one of the first things um, I'm really hoping that with this infrastructure bill and all of this funding coming in, that we can create a youth center in Beaver Falls. Um, we have the space, uh, we have the need, and like I said, our location being how close it is to the turnpike 
and other other cities and the accessibility of our town, um, it's it would do so much good here. And so creating a youth center would be great. So if anyone watching that wants to help fund that, please uh, contact me. Uh, another uh, big thing I want to do with them is job retention, getting them in programs like our community college in Beaver County. There's a lot of programs that they can do for trade um, or at least getting their baseline um, gen eds out for undergrad classes. So if you want to go the education route, I want you to be able to make it accessible. Going to our local colleges like Penn State Beaver or Geneva College, utilizing those resources in partnership like with the Beehive is super important. Another big one is really just getting them excited about anything outside of doing nothing, right? Getting jobs, creating families, and wanting to stay here. I think that if anything, that's one of my biggest things that I really want. I want people to want to be here. I want people to graduate high school and not be like, well, I want to move away or I need to go here. I want them to be excited. Like, you know, I graduated. I'm so excited to be in Beaver Falls and give back to my city and know what they offer and what they, what resources they provide to our city because we need them. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, and, and, in uh and one of the power our tradition you know we always um end our interviews with the same uh, question i was a question that miracle first started asking our guests uh in twenty. your miracle question it's the miracle question and um and and it is what uh brings you joy so just share with us you know in in, in this journey that you've taken you know this year you know what has uh brought you the, the most joy as you've made history you know, as you prepare, you know, to take on, you know, this huge responsibility, you know, what do you look back on and brings you joy when you reflect? There's so many things. Um, so one of the, the first things that bring me joy is uh, my family supporting me, you know, just having a, an ability for my family, my kids, my husband and uh, all of my siblings to like rally together, rally together and like really help make this happen. Another thing that brings me joy is um, my mom and my sister and my grandma all passed away in this last year. Um, um, but they all knew that I, I was I was planning on running. I was thinking about running. And after experiencing so much grief, I didn't know. I honestly didn't know how I was going to do this. I didn't know if I wanted to do this. Um, but I know, you know, before my mom passed away, uh, her telling me, like, Kenya, you got to do this. You're going to do this. And you're going to do great at it. And it really brings me joy to know that although she might not physically be here with me, you know, God allowed those words to speak life into me and manifested where I am. So. And honestly, another thing that brings me joy is just the fact that me being the first now means that I'm not going to be the last. Right, right. Now, thank you so much, uh, you know, for sharing your story and also our condolences, you know, to your family, you know, for your for your loss. And, uh, you know, thank you for your courage, um, you know, in sharing your story and, and um, you know, and taking that leap um, and trusting yourself, trusting your voice and, and making history. So uh, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, we look forward to continuing this conversation, um, particularly once, you know, you take office. We like to have, an, you know, a, a full roundtable, um, you know, with the various uh, history-making mayors and, and, look, and look forward to following your progress, uh, not only in the months, but the years to come. Uh, what looks to be a very bright, bright political future. And I appreciate that. And I very much thank you guys for reaching out to me. And, uh, and if there's anything I can do to work collaboratively with you guys or anyone else, if there's... I'm always open to that because I think we all have something we can always learn. So thank you guys again for having me. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that is Kenya Johns, the mayor-elect of Beaver Falls, 
Pennsylvania, the history making the first African-American female mayor of Beaver Falls. And, um, and yeah, so Miracle, that was another uh, fantastic conversation as we continue our conversations with, with, with our history makers. Um, and tonight it was, it was Kenya Johns and we'll see, we'll look out, you know, to see who's going to be joining us next Monday. You know, it's kind of a downtime. So, you know, we're reaching out to folks and you know, folks are in the middle of transition. So sometimes it takes a couple of days, you know, for, for us to, you know, uh, make, uh, these, uh, these confirmations and get the information out, but just stay tuned. We'll be back, you know, Monday night. So Miracle, do you have any uh, reflections, any thoughts before we leave or any announcements? Uh, you know, there's a lot going on this week. There is a lot going on this week. So we will be remiss to not mention this is Trans Awareness Week. We understand that there is a lot going on within the country. Um, we know that people are grieving the loss of one of our trans siblings, um, Angel Niera, that happened this week in Aliquippa. Um, and so we want to just encourage people to stay mindful and open and just, you know, lead with love. You know, when we're going out here, we're having these conversations and we're talking about people's lives. Just be aware of that. Um, another thing is, you know, the COVID-19 COVID numbers are coming back up. So just remind people to, you know, wash your hands, practice social distancing distancing and engage um, and, and just, you know, look out for one another. Um, not everyone is feel comfortable getting vaccinated. We understand that, but still try to take precautions and just to make, keep you and your um, family as safe as you possibly can. But, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, what's happening, but we have some really great programming coming up for you this week. You know, um, tomorrow we have on what Black Pacific know, we're going to be talking about notification. We know some of you have seen those for sale, you know, um, buy here, you know, signs going up and at people talking about buying a property. We also know that a lot of corporations are now becoming landlords. And so we want to like, have a conversation about what that actually means for you as a renter, for you as a homeowner, for you as a landlord. So please tune in to what Black Pittsburgh needs to know Tuesday at 2 o'clock. You know, Wednesday, we're always back at it with This Week in White Supremacy. And Thursday, we kind of have a two for, um, on, well, actually a three for on Thursday on Tilt. You know, that's our mental health uh, conversation that goes on at, at noon um, at 12 p.m. with Mama Brown and Julius Boatwright. So please, you know, tune in. It is Men's Health Month. So tune in to get some, some good tips about maintaining your mental health. You know, this daylight savings got to help a lot of us, but harmed a lot more of us. So, you know, please just tune in to learn some tips and tricks and things to combat, you know, seasonal affective disorder. But also, we know that there is some things going on in Wilkinsburg about the merger. So we do have an in-person event um, going at the Hosanna House at Thursday from 530 to 730. ASL support will be provided. This continues to be a, a listening session, a conversation People for and against the annexation will be there. So um, please make sure you sign up to be on, on the list, you know, wear your mask. But also, like I said, COVID-19 is coming. We still are in flu season. We know people have questions about COVID-19, flu, diabetes. Some people have, you know, have had some health declines during this time. So we're going to have Ask a Black Doctor. You know, this is a time for you to talk to the doctors, you know, yourself, um, ask questions. Since Jasiri is hosting at the Wilkinsburg Conversation, I will be filling in for him for this, you know, for this Thursday. 
for Ask a Black Doctor. So please let us know what questions you have, what comments you have, anything that's going on that you're not really sure about. We'll have you know these great doctors here for you. And you know, then you know, join, you know, enjoy the rest of the week. On Friday, there'll be a lot of observations for a transgender day of remembrance. So please make sure you follow back and you know some of the organizations that you can support will be out here all week. Again, I saw snow flurries today. I cried a little bit because I wasn't ready for the snow, but the winter is here. Winter is, you know, is it, it is no longer coming. It is here. So please make sure you're you're um, warm. Please make sure you call your, your utility companies if you're having some issues with COVID-19 and other um, situations to make sure you're able to stay housed and stay warm um, this winter. So with that, I'll pass it back over you to Kahari to take us out. Yeah, I just had uh, you know one other announcement. I don't know the exact time and location, so Merrickly may be helping. I know there is a strike this Thursday um, that uh, SEIU and other allies are planning uh, for the healthcare workers. I don't know, Miracle, you have any details on that? I, I didn't. I didn't want to leave uh, without mentioning that. Uh, do you yeah, have I, any any details on that? I do. I believe they may be striking downtown. Um, uh, because they have been unable, um, to, um, really get their demands met about safety precautions, um, extra days. And yes, so this week, November 18th, starting at 3 p.m., that's office and Thursday, seems to be the day for events in Pittsburgh, but, um, at the UPMC headquarters, which is, um, 600 Grant Street, downtown Pittsburgh, um, uh, people are going to be going on strike. Um, they are alleging that the UPMC has engaged in, you know, a union interference, has refused to, um, in good faith, negotiate uh, with them and meet some of their demands. Um, at the at the time, you know, we are in this COVID nineteen crisis. A lot of people are utilizing healthcare more now than uh, ever before. A lot of um, healthcare workers, you know, feel that they have, you know, are exhausted. They and they're underpaid. They don't themselves have adequate um, healthcare, um, and so they are going on strike. It'll be Thanksgiving, um, but as at starts at three p.m. right outside UPMC downtown. So I say, if you want to come and support, come and support. Um, they'll be striking. I do not know if they'll be marching or rallying yet. So you may need to make um, alternative arrangements for travel for Thursday. But yes, uh, Thursday at 3 p.m., UPMC is going on strike. UPMC workers are going on strike. And 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 along those lines, right as we as we close out, uh, I, I did want to mention along those lines. You know, this past weekend, um, as Miracle knows, I was I was in New York City uh, with my wife uh, for the screening of Inhospitable. Uh, which is a documentary film. Uh, we have the link uh, to the film's website um, in, in, the, in the comments section. Uh, but Inhospitable is, is a film um, that uses uh, the current situation with UPMC and the space that UPMC takes up locally as, as a metaphor uh, for, for a critique on the healthcare industry in the United States and using, you know, uh, UPMC is kind of the case study of, of, of much of uh, the challenges we face as society uh, dealing with Americans' broken healthcare system. Um, and there's many people that uh, you will be very familiar with that are featured uh, in the film uh, from my wife, Chelsea Wagner, her role as controller advocating for UPMC uh, patients to uh, 
state representative and congressional candidate Summer Lee, to state representative Sarah Inamorato, to uh, state representative and mayor-elect Ed Ganey are all featured in this full left feature documentary, Inhospitable. Um, look out uh, for national uh, distribution at some point soon. Look out for special screenings in Pittsburgh um, soon. Um, it was a very, very powerful story following three people um, who, uh, three families more so, um, who were impacted by uh, the situation that many folks were facing before the consent decree and the agreement between Highmark and UPMC, but these were three folks who had Highmark insurance, um, but were going to UPMC hospitals and were facing the challenges with their insurance may not being accepted and all the challenges they had to face. All three uh, were cancer patients um, and uh, very, very powerful, heart-wrenching stories of the challenges folks face, just trying to stay alive just try to stay healthy. Um, there is ways if you go on NYC, DOC, NYC doc, uh, it was featured again in the uh, New York City uh, documentary film festival. There's also a very powerful film about the tree of life um, tragedy also um, in that same documentary series. Or you could go up to New York um, between now and the 28th of November and, and check out the films as well. Um, but it was very, very moving. Um, and you, uh, Bethany Hallam is also featured in that. So you will see very, you will see a, a large, 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 large train of people that you know uh, from Pittsburgh and a lot of places that you'll be very familiar with because this is focused on Pittsburgh and it's being used as a way to engage national leaders in DC uh, and things like that. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this film what streaming service picks it up. I know they're trying to figure out is it going to be Apple, is it going to be Netflix? You know, they're all, you know, working on that right now. And as a very, very uh, bang up team, uh, the producer um, who usually does feature films was, was actually the producer of the Oscar winning film Moonlight. Um, so this is a very, very, very um, serious, serious operation. The team was very serious. This is a very big deal, you know, it's like no disrespect to, you know, folks, you know, who do a documentary on their iPhone. This was not on an iPhone. You know, this was something that you're going to see on Netflix or somewhere else in the very near future. Um, so, you know, check out the link and figure it go to, to NYC DOC or hit us up so you can find out, you know, Lisa Frank from FDIU shot me a link. If I can find that link, I will post it as well. Um, uh, how you can actually view the, the film like on your phone or on your computer, you know, over the next couple of weeks watch at the New York Documentary Film Festival. So I did want to shout that out, given we had just mentioned, you know, the strike coming up on Thursday, very apropos. And, um, and, and with that, you know, we're going to close out uh, this week's edition of the One Hood Power Hour. Again, thank you so much um, to Mayor-elect Coleman Johns. Uh, from Beaver Falls for joining us and the best of luck and um, stay engaged, stay in tune and um, look forward uh, to seeing you next Monday. This was the One Hood Power Hour signing off for Miracle Jones. This is Kahari Moses. Have a great night. Mm -hmm.